0: You may not know the name Tony Gapin, but chances are you've seen him singing and dancing on many and significant stages. He has been a regular presence in commercial musical theatre in Australia for 50 years as a reliable character actor, blessed with a strong tenor voice. Commencing a career in his youth, he was a child actor who performed on radio and in pantomime. A stint in London furthered performance opportunities and allowed him to work alongside significant names like Ray Milan and Winifred Atwell. Tony was employed regularly because he was reliable, prepared, professional, and passionate about the business. He has appeared in an extraordinary number of musicals. These include Fade Out, Fade In, Showboat, Anything Goes, La Cage Folles, Sweeney Todd, Scrooge, The Wizard of Oz, Me and My Girl, Evita and applause, just to name a few. That's a lot of nights in the theatre and years touring, but it's also a lot of great stories. Stages could not let a chance go by without talking to the charming Tony Gapin. You
1: you the good? first production, Charles Norman was played Billy... Crocker. Billy Crocker, and then I played Billy Crocker opposite Tony LeMond, and then later, of course, I played... In that production where Simon Burke played Billy Crocker. You were. The purser. Um, the and, and then uh, in New Zealand, I was the, the financier. Um, um,
0: um, Eli, Eli, Elijah Whitney. Whitney, there you go, we got it together. Hmm. <laughs> so um, I guess anything is. Would Anything Goes be the show that you've most. Treasured? Not not treasured necessarily, but that you've been associated with or that, that you've done. Because I know you've done Wizard of Oz for about three different seasons of that, haven't you?
1: And prior to that, I actually did a season of Wizard of Oz for Gary Ginnivan, where I played the Tin Man. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> and where part of my costume fell off on the opening performance, and with my axe, I just uh, pretended it was a golf ball and... and well, got, got a few laughs. Yes, into the pit. But I don't know that it was well received in the pit. <laughs> I got such a shock that it fell off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would, you would.
0: Uh, and then you played uh, Uncle Henry, of course, in that first... That was Victorian opera That's that The first out? one, yeah. the
1: second one and the third one. I had... Uh,
0: while you were also covering The Wizard. Yes.
1: Yeah. The first wizard was John Gaydon and then Bert played number 2 and number 3 uh, productions as The Wizard... I went on for Bert, but not for John. John didn't miss any performances.
0: Understudying uh, Bert and, and John Ewing we talked about. Did you do? Have you done understudying much, or was that sort of in the latter part of your latter career? Latter part, yeah. Yeah. Is it difficult understudying? What did, was it? Something you enjoyed?
1: Not much, but no. I enjoyed going on. You see, mm. I had no fear. A dear mutual friend of ours, who's no longer with us, um, would refuse point blank to go on if he didn't feel he'd been thoroughly rehearsed and, you know, no, the show doesn't go on. Well, I was always ready. Well, and... I did it. I mean, because of the varying degrees of people who take... You um, can go from the top, someone like Gail Esler, who's been a performer, done it all, a musician, and a technical person, which is a wonderful person to take rehearsals for understudy. Then you get people who haven't got a clue. Hmm. They've written certain notes down during the original production and they really don't know what they're talking about. So it's best to have a very good grip on things. Now, with Le for instance, we never got past the first act.
0: In preparing the understudies, uh, right? Yes.
1: So um, Gordon Boyd had been fortunate enough to be... He played for the first three weeks of rehearsals before Keith Michel arrived.
0: All right, so he was understood. So he'd the had that week, yes,
1: so. he'd had that proper direction. Then he used to oh, raise the eyes to heaven with me, we'd just cause we'd go, oh. I didn't feel the love, you know, no. and there is a terrible day where I of course, you know, I'm pretty even tempered. If I lose my temper head for the hills, and I couldn't believe my accuracy because I can't see very well. But I just picked up one of my, the heels I was wearing, whack, hit him right in the face in the soles. Did you feel that? <laughs> the rehears- there was a, a, a lengthy break in rehearsals that day. Gordon, spot on, dear boy, spot on.
0: Well, I mean, especially a role like Elban, when, when you've yeah. got all those costume changes. And-
1: well, we never rehearsed that. Right. And um, the only thing... Of I, I, course, I said to Arthur, I got along very well... Is
0: Arthur Lawrence? Yes.
1: Yep. Which was a surprise, because we did Well, I've, I would have thought I would have been fired. When Arthur arrived, for his very first day was on a Friday, and we just did it. There, and, of course, he loved Gerald, what Geraldine Morrow was doing with the Mrs Dandon... Madame Dandon. He actually laughed out loud a couple of times. He sat grim-faced through most of John's and John was furious that he'd arrived so late in the piece because we'd been directed by Fritz Holt, lovely man, um, who was one of the producers on Broadway and he'd been, he originally started in stage management. Anyway, um, at the end of Proceedings, an author says, well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, we're, all I can say is we've got a lot of work to do, starting Monday, and made some some remarks about various people, and he said and John, and he just held up, and he had all these pages on this, a fool's cap, um, block that he held up. He said, are going to," he said, "I've got so much for you," and John said, "Yes, and I'm agog with disinterest." <laughs> It was just silence for a few minutes. Oh, and then the announcement was made. Ladies and gentlemen, that'll be it for this afternoon. We'll contact you um, for times and etc. for Monday. Anyway, Robert Berry and I had friends waiting for us downstairs because we were rehearsing in the Buffalo Club, so we knew a lot of these jolly gentlemen. They'd come from a a, a Buffalo lunch a few floors below and they were waiting for us.
0: What's the Buffalo Club? Was it a a Uh, hotel
1: or...? No, no, no. no. It's the ancient order of Buffaloes, And I was actually... I actually (laughs) still am a Buffalo, I suppose. I joined in Melbourne. Is it like
0: the Lions Club or something? The Rotaries or... Yes, but a very boozy version. A luncheon club.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. And the reason I joined in Melbourne, not just because everybody else was a member... But um, you can go and have a few drinks. Um, The Buffalo Temple, as it was called in Melbourne, um, which was the next one on from... um, It's Elizabeth, isn't it, the one that goes to the market? Yes. It's the one after that, the Buffalo Temple. And, of course, (laughs) you sing a few numbers um, um, and... uh, that raises money. People pay right for the lodge. Anyway, um, the Sydney Buffalo members were. I've never been. I'd never been in Sydney, and um, we were waiting. They were waiting downstairs. The lift opened, and um, I got out ahead of Robert. And they said, "Is he here? Is he here?" And of course, they'd been talking to Robert. I said, "Who? Who?" They said, "Arthur Lawrence." I said, "Yes. What's he like?" I said, "Oh." It's hysterical. I said, he looks like Nancy Walker in drag. <laughs> but I didn't know Arthur was behind me in the leaf. Oh,
0: didn't. he was coming down with you. Oh.
1: And so, I guess, <sighs> B is just... And no one could Even the, the people who just asked me, what's he like, suddenly realised there's Arthur Lawrence behind me. And so they bustle me out the door. We're going for, 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 for dinner now. Um... And so we went down to this place near the markets. It used to be a great favourite of um, uh, Bob Bertels and a lot of the musos, an Asian place that had originally been a butchery. Um, And so we walked down, that's in um, George Street, that top block next to that hotel. Anyway, and of course we're sitting at this big oval table and I had my back to the door. And they, they said, oh, Really, Pat, you know, how could you, you know, you didn't know he was in the lift with you? I said, No, I didn't. And B said, Oh dear, I don't think you'll be called on Monday. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I must admit, I thought, Oh dear. Next minute, everybody, all conversation stopped. I thought, What's the matter now with it? And these two hands came on my shoulder from behind me and said, Hiya, it's Nancy, what's good? <laughs> And we got on absolutely splendidly.
0: Isn't that terrific? Because so, he was quite an onerous character from, well, from all reports.
1: Yeah, well, he was really tough and hard. Anyway, when they were leaving, he and Fritz, I said, you're leaving me here? I said, I, I said, look, who's going to take the?" I said, you don't even know if I can... Fritz said, you wouldn't have been cast if we didn't know you can do it. You'll do it on a break. I said, without help. I said, no, I'm really, I'm pissed off at you two leaving me like this. And they, they said, well, what, what could go wrong? What can't you handle? I said, well, I don't know whether i would be, you know, that uh, I put a little more mascara on. That's not an easy number, you know. All of that's got to be timed.
0: Yes, while you're dressing at yes. the same time and putting on makeup. makeup. Yeah.
1: And so they said to me, well, um, okay, we'll go down to your dressing room now and do it laid out the towel they brought the props from the prop table oh, Bruce wasn't happy with the prop man wasn't happy they laid out all the props and said here we go uh, oh here... and so when I just did it and put the eyelash everything just went absolutely I said but you don't know that's going to happen every time that's just luck and Nancy said and you've got it you've got luck <laughs> so they just Waved me goodbye You'll be fine
0: And you were
1: Well apparently yes
0: Did you play it often The
1: role Not as much as I would As you'd like to, to. And yeah. only in Sydney I never got on in Melbourne right. I, This is a part I want to play I felt as though My whole life Had been preparation For this part Anyway um, And Keith Michelle Was wonderful And of course I was, It was a very confident First act <laughs> And then the second act. And of course, so much of the second act I'd been unable to to view, either changing or I had an entrance through the front of the house where I had to, you know, that I just didn't, I had no idea when John came on in that last apartment scene. I gently asked Geraldine, she said, you know, I've never noticed. I think it might be, and but she couldn't really tell me. Uh, David Ravens, Ravo, couldn't tell me. So, at the interval, the first it was wonderful in a way. The confidence that Keith had in me, and he said, "Now, before we start uh, this next scene, and we're getting ready to go on. We'd done the first scene, and I'd done mascara, and he and I was changed and ready much faster than." John, because, you know, John had a bad arthritis. Right. So everything was agony for him. And so I was I practically dressed myself. And there I am standing next to Keith. Oh, he said, my dear. Oh, he said, are we eager or are we eager?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and so he said, you're doing beautifully. He said, but whatever you do, don't try and give John's performance. He said, you don't realise this. He said, in that first scene... That's, I saw something new. I played with different people on Broadway. He said, "That's that was something new. That there's something really good there. Just just play it your way." I'm thinking, "Well, yes, I hadn't considered trying to give John's performance." Anyway, the first act went swimmingly, and there I'm sitting, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be a bit of a a challenge." The second act, mm. but of course Keith didn't know, and so I had to whisper to him gently. We've never rehearsed the second act, so there are certain things that I might be a little bit confused about. And he said to me, don't worry. He said, I'll be your rock. And he was, God love him. He guided me. Any time he felt that I might be heading off in the wrong direction, or just lost. And, of course, he made it all look absolutely natural and real. And um, when, at the end of the performance entire audience I was getting very worried we could see up in the circle because you know it used to be like they're up on their feet and oh, cheering oh that's brilliant and he, he said to me if we lose a few we'll have more later <laughs> he was lovely and his wife Jenny who was also lovely they had a big album of Nakaj of all the all the L bands who had played with him and there were five and she said, You don't seem to realize, Tony, there are five owl bands. She said, The other four all had understudies that he played with. They're not there. Right. As far as he's concerned, he's played with five owl bands. And she said, And look at your position there at center page. In, in my, uh, everybody was photographed in their Act One finale. Right before they ripped the wig off.
0: Brilliant, (laughs) brilliant.
1: So he was a very kind man, and I found him just as delightful when we played together in Scrooge.
0: Right, that's right. You you did Scrooge, the Christmas musical. Yes, Yes. Mr Fezziwig. (laughs) So
1: are you officially
0: retired now? Mm. Yeah.
1: It's a strange thing, Peter. Um, With Fiddler... Um, that was I, your last show, wasn't yes, it? Yes, I, 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 I were up in Brisbane and I played all the previews and played opening night How I don't know, and then I collapsed and I was in hospital for the rest of the Brisbane season. But Judy Roberts, who was the, but was playing Golder, and um, came almost every day, and Haim Topple used to come and see me at least once a week, And he stopped his taxi with his wife at the end of the... ..when they were going to the airport in the last week of Brisbane to once again say to me, we want you for the opening night in Melbourne. You know, you'll be... be I can tell you're looking better all the time. And um, they insisted on announcing every night in Brisbane, which was lovely, um, because they haven't done that for years. Well, particularly for supporting players... Um, due to my indisposition that James Lee would be playing. James used to come and see me too and said, Pats, they expect you back there for opening night in Melbourne. I said, I'm going to be there. I was back for Melbourne. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I was determined. I I can be very determined. Doctor Doctor Theatre. Yeah, Doctor (laughs) Theatre. And I was there. I mean, it still stuns me that I managed that.
0: Because you're very much that breed of the show must go on. Aren't you?
1: Well, I was horrified. The first show that horrified me was that of Vita where everybody wanted to get into it, directed by Hal Prince, you know. It
0: was probably the the first production outside
1: was it before
0: No, no. It, Broadway had happened, hadn't it? The, oh yes. Yes, yes. But like, no, we had that
1: terrible coming. situation where we had um, Connell from England, who who was originally from Newcastle here in Australia and I can't think of the girl's name on Broadway as the head girl on Broadway. She came out as well, also from Newcastle, originally from Newcastle. And their productions were different. And for a week, we did what we used to call amongst ourselves the coffin shuffle. And it was changed daily. One would come in in the morning, then it would be changed in the afternoon. then. Was... And there's that classic thing.
0: Peter... These were... Um the director's putting it into Australia, creating it in Australia.
1: They were the the head boy and head girl of those English and American productions. No, the director is Hal Prince. Yes. Never there.
0: Right.
1: If you saw the the media, and and you think, Hal's in today, or at least this morning, and he would lecture with glasses on the top of his head, and he'd always point to me and say, he knows what I mean. And I'd think, I must be looking as... (laughs) Nobody ever said, well, what does he mean except Noel Mitchell? I don't know. what. What's he doing? Where's he going? And I said, I think he's going off to Brampton Island or, you know. He did every tourist thing. And then to come back, make a few notes sometimes at some performance and go. Anyway, he, the only note he gave me one day was, oh, he said, looking too young. He said, I didn't hire you to look young. And he brought in this... Um, Man called Bob McCarran, who was mainly known for film makeup. And he did a big chart. And all this stuff I had to put on my face to look old enough. So I'd go on. Hal would come back and say, uh, oh, is the conceited Tony Gapin here? <laughs> I'd say, Well, Tony Gapin's here, yeah, and he'd say, try the makeup tomorrow. I said, I did try. Anyway, just just put the lines on, please. So I used to... And it used, I, I had to... It took an extra half an hour, all this stuff following this chart. I did it religiously every night. Anyway, one night, Hal came, he was so angry that I did He came back, and, of course, I hadn't had a chance to remove it. And he said... Did you have that on on stage? I said no. I just put it on on to go home in the bus. He just he said, I can't see any of this on the stage. He said, you've applied this correctly. He said, don't touch it. And he called Bob McCarran. He said, is this how it should be? He said, that's exactly how it should be. He said, well, thank you very much. Don't bother to sign any other charts. He said, it's useless. And it was side lighting, was washing it all out.
0: Right, because there was a lot of side
1: lighting. A lot of Avita, side, lighting. wasn't there? Yeah. So he said, and it was the first time ever. He just said to me, "Well," he said, "forget about it. That's not working." He said, "Don't wear any makeup at all. Nothing." I said, mm. "I thought terrific." <laughs> and I did that sort of. And he said, "No." Came back. He said, "No, you're still looking too young." He said, um, glasses. So I wore rimmed, those wire-rimmed glasses, which yeah. I later wore in my first season as Uncle Henry. Oh, wow, right. Um,
0: so this is a reflection, you know, you could interpret that as Hal Prince being a pain in the arse, but it uh, just his attention to detail.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. And once he, once he was there, and particularly when we started playing previews, his attention to detail with everything and everybody, sets, costumes, um, yes, thorough, really thorough. But he said to me, well, I said, I've glasses working. And he said, because he hadn't said anything, so I I assumed right there, there. He said, well, you couldn't, he said, try, can you sing with your mouth closed? And he said, and close your eyes. He said, you just look too y-. He said, the minute the light's hit you, you look too young. He said, your eyes are too young and your mouth's too young. He said, I hired you to be old. He said, are you really the age that's on your... I said, I don't know what the age you've got is on the," And I had a look. I said, that's old indeed. But I said, I'm actually two years older than that. I was born in 1941, which... Hmm. He said, Oh, well. He said, You'll be one of those. He said, You're going to be one of those. He said, You'll look younger than springtime until the day you get up and don't recognize yourself.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, look how accurate that was.
0: Because <laughs> that production, uh, the 80s, early 80s, was it? Or
1: yes, late? 1980. Right. And um, I know that for sure because I was in the Danny LaRue show touring with the, and my dear friend Kevin Hanley was the stage manager for that. Ah. Anyway. Um,
0: um, and and LaPone, you said her yes. first week was your last yes. week. So did you have much to do with her? Or we did initially. What, what were I your did observations of, of her as a performer?
1: Well, oh, I thought she was fabulous. Mm. Absolutely fabulous. She refused to allow um, the score to control her or her performance. And it was fabulous. Yeah. Diction's still not the best, but...
0: It's got I, better with age, though, hasn't it?
1: <laughs> I have to say, I, I thought so, but then I realised things like Gypsy and Things, I know that score, I
0: know those lyrics. Yes, so you're hearing the words before she utters them.
1: Yeah. Pa- uh, War paint. have you heard that score? Yeah, yeah. You can understand every single thing that Christine Ebersole sings... And, Patty? What? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I thought, I'd better listen to that again. Still no luck with quite a few of them. uh." I thought, no. Mm -hmm." But we met... We were introduced to Patty on a harbour cruise, which was a lovely idea. And she made a beeline for me, and we were having a great day. And I said, I'm so glad. You know, she said, looking forward to Monday. And, yes... And um, she said to me, oh, we're, honey, we're going to have a terrific time. Yeah. And I said, yeah, well, I'm glad. I said, that I'm getting this opportunity to work with you. I said, because I'm just, it's just getting it in. My la- It'll be my last week and it'll your first week. She said, your last week? What am I wasting my time with you? I, I, <laughs> if you're going to be gone the week after that...
0: We don't need to build a relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She was off.
0: <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. Where Where did you grow up? Sydney. So Sydney Born boy.
1: and raised in Sydney. Started the career, I always say, at seven. But actually it was six. But two days later I turned seven. Because in those days, pantomimes always opened on Boxing Day. And I, my birthday's the 28th. And... Um, Started in that, at um in, in Mother Goose. It started Maggie Fitzgibbon and Darling Dawn Lake. She was like an older sister to me. She was just lovely, and um, the dame was a, a, a man who had fame in Western Australia, Ike Delavale. Right, and he was pretty big there, um, not so much over here. Um, Bobby Hornery. Um, what's his understudy? Um, and Bobby, well, I always thought he was 10 years older than me. As it turns out, it was more like 16. But the, who cares? Um, but he, he was from the same neck of the woods. I, I came from Coogee. He came from Randwick. Right. And um, we had... Um, oh, what was this, the man's name? He's quite a famous opera singer. Who played the Demon King? And um, that was at the Capitol. Uh, I then did um, variety shows. So, so panto
0: was quite big at that time. Right? Oh yes, so a huge was an production,
1: angel. huge production, twice a day. Yeah. Once again, of course, I wasn't supposed to play twice a day
0: because of your age.
1: Because of my age. Right. Um. And I, you have to have a parent parent or guardian. When or I auditioned, because I went off without my parents' knowledge.
0: Your career seems to have be been about, you know, people telling you you're too young. Yeah, you're too, too young.
1: Too young or,
0: or... And then that kick of the bum too with old. the Beast.
1: Yeah. Too old. <laughs> 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 and Reggie Morgan, who was down from the country and his father passed away during the war, um, he took me in. We went in on the tram together after school. Oh, mm. boy, that was... But I was smart enough to go Could you Coogee Randwick RSL the minute we got back on the tram to get my headmaster, who was a piss pot, um, and he signed... He, he, I had to have his signature. Then at home... I Hang
0: on, my... you, went to, you went to the RSL where your headmaster was drinking...
1: Yes, oh, I knew where he'd be. <laughs> and you got him to sign the permission for I just said, you need to sign this Mr Lyons. <laughs> and he did. That and then it. went back to his drinking. That was at the reception. Right. Because I certainly wasn't allowed in. Except on Thursday nights where we used to watch old movies. That's why I know so much about old movies. Right. But um, I went home and my mother was hysterical. I'm, not, I'm so sorry but you know you're not allowed to go on the tram alone. I said, oh, Reggie was with me. That's... Reggie's not an adult. And, of course, this is the thing. When, they, when I auditioned on stage at the Capitol, and they said, oh, yes, right, um, bring out your parent or guardian. And I just looked. And they said, well, who brought you in? And I brought out Reggie with his school case. He said, he won't do. It. No. <laughs> <laughs> and so they explained I had to have my parents' signature and um, well one parent and and the headmaster. But ha- at the time off I'd have right how how
0: as a six six year old were you? Mm. Did you hear about an audition for a of mine? Reggie, right? Reggie knew. Could Reggie, Reggie, Red Reggie was a Telegraph. budding performer as well. No, no, no. He just thought amazed. it was all
1: c- ridiculous. Yes, right. And he always used to think I carried on. He said, "No wonder," he said, because I was always saying I must start the career. I was. My parents would sort of say, yes, well, in, in time... Was, uh, was it a musical family or was there my any... mother, this is another story, my mother had a year in the business, unbeknownst to her parents. Um, of course, she she, was, she had a brilliant voice. She's the only... Uh, Geraldine Murray is the only person I ever knew that, like my mother, there was no discernible break between her head voice and her, uh, her chest voice and her head voice. You usually hear the break. Yes. Never with my mother. And she taught me pitch when we were doing the washing up. She'd be washing our drying up and the radio would be on and if somebody was singing and it was not right, she would instantly sing what it should be for me to hear while the person was singing out of tune. And then as we progressed, she'd point to me to sing what it should be. And it was great. Well, it was a terrific game and I I do have pretty good pitch. And that's why
0: you were uh, employed so regularly in commercial musical after musical, because of your reliability with pitch. I don't know. Yeah, it would have to be. And and that that big tenor voice that you've got.
1: Well, second tenor. (laughs) Right. Um... But I did find out it's easy to sing above your range. Right. Or it's easier to sing above your range. But to sing below, and we're talking about the days, no body mics, that's not a good thing. No. That really, it coarsens your voice. So I only let them do that to me once.
0: So you're a bit of a, a child star? You went from...
1: Actually, because I went into radio from... Well I was still in single figures this is about nine right and um I was in lots of serials and and it and it was an interesting I made myself different, not knowingly, but of course my eyesight isn't good
0: even and at that age he,
1: oh, always oh, right. and so you, you'd get your scripts and i and in those days we'd reached the stage where some, sometimes important things at the ABC you could get a couple of days early. Usually you just get them before the...
0: So it was sight reading was required, mm. yeah.
1: And you'd mark your parts out. And so what I would do, if I knew there was a difficult part, I'd sometimes laugh or, you know, uh, put that kind of space for me to work out what's ahead. And so people listening used to say, oh, he's, that boy's so funny. And only, I can only assume that they, they said that because I'm laughing. Yes. So I was cast as happy. I was always a nice boy who's very jolly and very happy. The rare occasions when I got to play a couple of nasty people, people would go, what? And I had no idea, you know, you had that ability. You're actually a very good actor, Tony. And I think... Well, thank you. You know, it takes as much ability to make a disinteresting character believable or even want to take notice of what they're doing. Anyway, I was given this part of a boy who murdered his auntie on police file, a Ron R. Beck production. And at the it's end a of right, this
0: great right, radio series, radio series right.
1: well, they were self contained episodes. Right. And at the end of the script, it said um, he gives the scream of death because I got electrocuted at the Hydro...
0: <laughs> Hydro-majestic.
1: And so I gave my best scream of death and the technicians... <laughs> because I was projecting like you would on stage, I suppose. So they said, yes, very good, but uh, I think you better go back to Jolly Boys. <laughs> At the end of John Ewing's life, we had a last day together because we became better friends. Um, he, he admitted that he came to see me when I was on for him. He went to a Wednesday matinee. And at the same matinee, I, I was a little bit... Once again, I wasn't supposed to know, but I could hear everybody talking about it in the distance. And I did have a moment's hesitation just before that first entrance, thinking, oh, oh dear, he, Fancy coming in to see me, and, uh, and I thought, wait a moment, Auntie Joy is in, as well. To... Oh no, no, oh, I just I thought of Auntie Joy, and I came flying through those swing doors.
0: Yes. <laughs> but John, there's always someone in the audience, isn't
1: there? There, there is, You've isn't You've always got to be. Or think that they, yeah, there might yeah, it's be. just to get you... Because I can't stand people who give special performances or, no. you know, hold that performance for opening night or closing night or special occasions. No.
0: Well, I mean, a point in case, I, I saw Priscilla last week, you know, and oh. there's Tony Sheldon, mm. 2,000 performances in. As, and as fresh... And as fresh, the, I would and as, fresh yes. as the day it started when I saw it 12 years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's a, a... That's a profession.
1: Well, even when his mum was sick, in anything goes, because... You know, she wasn't long out of that terrible experience of the shock treatment and all yes, that sort of thing. the sleep home and all And that. so sometimes she wasn't secure. The minute she hit that stage, you'd never know that she had a care in the world. Yeah. Absolutely spot on. She was wonderful. Yeah. I learnt a lot from Tony, and I always say she taught me composure. Um, but I became really friendly with John in a Sweeney Todd, when he was playing... Oh, down at
0: Melbourne Theatre Company. Yes,
1: and we played Sydney, we played the match oh, again. Oh, right.
0: And uh, with Jordyn Turner, Turner and Peter Carroll. That's correct. Mm.
1: And John and I became quite close because we had um, a great sense of humour. And um, in the last day I visited him, he, he finished up in a nursing home in Randwick. And he arranged a little luncheon with him and we went back to our radio days. He was only 3 years older than me.
0: Oh, so he was performing in those radio plays as well. See, don't even a lifetime.
1: But the difference was he played very sophisticated and he would never played a child. He played very sophisticated roles. And still when I came back from England he's been and I'm still playing those young boys, sometimes teenagers, because of, you know, the light speaking voice.
0: So how did you get into musicals? I mean, I believe Showboat in 1963 was your first? No. At the Tivoli, no? No, No.
1: The Student Prince was the first. It had played Melbourne, but I joined it in Sydney playing the Freshman, Freshman here called for beer, with John Larson. Right. And we followed West Side Story. And my sister and I got free tickets to go to West Side Story every night of its final week. Which we, went, we were just—it was—we thought it was wonderful. You could shoot a cannon through the joint.
0: Really, no one went.
1: Nobody was going. Wow. We opened in Student Prince. They were selling the stairs, wow. which was illegal.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: But they were selling the stairs. Of course, John had that huge um, following from the Merry Widow that he would previously toured Australia with June Brownhill, Right. So that was a lovely experience, though. Yeah. became very fond of John, and he. The last time I saw him, he was out here, um, as an understudy with Hello, Hello. Remember that. Oh yes, it's yes,
0: the um, the English sitcom. Yeah.
1: Yes, and he had he'd shaved his head completely. You know, fair-headed men don't keep their hair. Right.
0: Yes. Uh, so, the mu- whole musical career. How did how did that start?
1: student prints, I just... Wore. See, I'd, and see. I just went from show to show. Well, you see, show. I moved up the road... I, I, I worked at the Capitol off and on for three years. I moved up the road to the Tivoli because suddenly the Capitol went, you know, stopped doing stuff because they went into television. Um, Bobby Lim and Jack Neary, his manager Jack Neary, had instigated that original Capitol thing. And indeed, in the last show I did at the Capitol, which was a pantomime again... Dawn and Bob, Bobby was the dame, and Dawn was the prin- always the principal girl. And they left to go over to England. They got married and went to England. And we finished with Ilma Aidy, and Bobby Hornery took over for Bobby Lynn in the last part of the season. So, when did you go to England? Oh, B and I went, was it 68, 68 or 69?
0: And that's because it was the the place to go? On I mean, oh, those every, days, yes. Yes, yes. yes to sort of... I'd have loved
1: to have gone to America, but I don't know how they do it now, but it seems to be quite easy. But that all-important green card... Yes,
0: very difficult, difficult to obtain.
1: And so my trips from England over to New York, people used to offer me stuff, but under the, you know... and I, I, I used to turn it down I think, I'd love to do this, but... You know, to be deported and never to return again, I couldn't yes. handle that. No, 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 We got a free trip, B and I got a free trip to England. She was at the Bullenbush, Bush, I was at the Sesame. And um, we went to pay off our fare um, for this Greek line.
0: That would be, we're talking about B Aston. B Aston.
1: Yep. We'd remained friendly ever since, um, fade out, fade in. And although she's originally from Lismore, she, more or less, the family was established for a long time in Bronte. And um, we went in to pay off our ticket. And the man said, wait a moment, I've seen you at the Bush. I've seen you at the Sesame. Wow, he said. And so we chatted about the shows and what he'd seen and so forth. And he said... You wouldn't like to sing on the ship and go for free, would you? I said, that How would wonderful. be lovely. And B immediately piped up, and we've got three friends. I think, three friends? Who are these? <laughs> what are you doing, woman? And she mentioned Lisa Thompson, Audrey Duggan and Noel Mitchell, who are all no longer with us. But they toured together with Bea in Orpheus and Merry Widow. So um, she knew them very well. And plus she'd done the country tour of Sentimental Bloke as Doreen with Noel a Straw Hat Coot and... Um, oh, Lisa, p- playing the soubrette. So I just said, I said, Pee, I f- I fancy just saying you... And all the man said to... Uh, are they of the same standard as you and Tony? Oh yes, she said. You know, okay, is it?
0: So, so she secured
1: them a passage as well. Well, yes, yeah. we all had to have our return fare, right? But we got a free trip over, which was great extra boost to the cash thing. And before we we docked in Southampton, they offered me and Lisa permanent positions, and I she was tempted, but I said for me. I said, Lisa, go ahead.
0: But yes. But the whole point was to get to London. To London, yeah. yes,
1: yes, no, not another. So, um
0: So you enjoyed regular work while you're in London?
1: Well, it was funny. Um B got we arrived and um B went off to stay with the Rushtons, Will Rushton and Arlene Dorgan, who was Australian and a mate of ours. And um I went off to this pre-arranged thing that I'd arranged in Earl's Court. So Will said, we'll drop you off. We'll drop you off. And he said, I'm coming in, Tones, I'm coming in. Oh, dear God. He said, don't even put... Her. No, no, you're coming to Knightsbridge, dear boy. Yes, and so I went to Knightsbridge with, with them. Claire Bloom lived next door. And um, B got the stage and she saw... An audition for a young uh, a young man um, must be good singer, dancer, and uh, capable of playing in sketches. She said, "Here you are, you know." And of course, we had our uh, we had our charts out well and truly because performing on the ship going over, we were required to perform five shows um, during um, the four-week trip and also do an additional performance in the cabaret room. I ended up doing three cabarets because two of our people chickened out. Never mind. Um, But that's possibly why I got the offer for permanent employment. But I said, oh, well, looking around, it was in Soho, the address. Couldn't find it. There are all those little alleyways and I said, Oh B look at the time. I think we've missed I can- she was determined. I can hear music coming here. We went in the back door, she said the door's open. And of course stunned the people because we came in the back entrance. How did you get here? And I said, Well we were through the door and they obviously thought B was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> So we didn't say anything about that. And so I performed. And they said before, uh, well, it's a pity because we're fully cast. But we do lots of shows, so you might as well audition. And so I said, fine, I auditioned. And they jumped up and said, we we'll would give you a choice of four shows. It was Howard and Wyndham was the management. And so I said, oh, of course it was all of it," And they were all out of town. So I said... Look, can I go home and call you? I said, you know. He said, we've got to be home by Saturday. They looked. So I asked Will to make the judgment call, and he did. He said, You're going to Manchester. That's the best date. He said, uh, Frankie Vaughan, that's an A class show. So off I went, and Frankie was lovely to me. Oh, great. And so from then on, when I wasn't doing something, um, Hardin Wyndham, they were always. Something available for me, and except the one time they wouldn't give in was when I was booked for Blackpool. And in between times, I went and auditioned for a play called Madam Chairman, which was to star Veronica Lake.
0: Oh, fabulous! And having grown up with the movies, movies. Yeah.
1: so of course, I and they said to me, I had to audition in um, somebody's lounge room. That sort of, I thought, mm, spit on. Does it sound right? It was Terence Rattigan's money. Terence Rattigan was already dead and his boyfriend had gone into management. And so Terence Rattigan's apartment. Um, mm, lots of rugs on walls and things. Anyway, I had to audition three times. I kept thinking, what's going to, this is very, all happened in one week. And at the last day they said, well, you're it, you're it. Uh, there are three of you who are, have given thre- uh, three separate but really good performances. I can't think of the director's name now. He'd come out from the States because she wouldn't hear of an English director. Never got to meet her. And they said, oh. We're going with you. You're ideal because you're short. And of course, she's tiny. Huh. And they said, you know, the two other guys, too So, yes, you're it. In the meantime, of course, I had a wonderful agent, courtesy of Noel Tovey, who I'd worked with in shows in Australia. And um, he got me one, one of the best-known agents in London. And so he said, oh, he said, but you're forgetting, you know, uh, this is in Blackpool. You've got another show in Blackpool. Oh, about the Valdernican show. I said, oh, oh. They won't, you know, they'll let me out of that, surely. No. No. Mm -hmm. And we opened the same week. I was at the Opera House and she was at, um, it's a lovely theatre, The Grand in Blackpool. Two nights into the run, third night, she fell over, broke her arm three places end of run so I thought oh well she did come back later um, to do Streetcar Named Desire right. B- bit of different from Madame Chairman yes and do you know who played um, uh, Stanley who? Ty Harden
0: oh wow great
1: well you're a lovely man yeah you know, when he did that Not television show here, they used to call him Try Harder.
0: Oh. <laughs> um Who was Winifred Atwell?
1: Oh, Winifred Atwell was in that Blackpool show. I'd worked with her at the Tivoli as a little boy and she was a big star in Australia and I think originally a big star in, in, um, in England. And she was a terrific pianist, but she was known for her actor Winnie Atwell and her other piano. And um, in, in Blackpool, of course, you have those football teams, Manchester City and Manchester United. Well, I'm not interested in soccer or football, as they call it, which is why I'm so strange to be so mad about AFL growing up in Sydney, because NRL doesn't interest me in the least. But Winnie, I used to introduce Winnie. She just had the spot in the second act. And when... Um, oh, uh, it, uh, rather, this was Manchester. That that was the one with Jimmy Tarbuck was the nominal star and Winifred Atwell, with Winifred Atwell, Queen of the Keyboard. She was charming to me. She recognised me, I couldn't believe it, from that little boy that had singing at the Tivoli that here I am now in, in Manchester. That was also at um, the Opera House Manchester. And um, in the second act, I used to, ladies and gentlemen, because Howard and Wendeman said, You're incredible. How do you manage? Where did you learn this trick? And I never, I just didn't know where I learned it from. Hayes Gordon. All right. The Ford show. Watch the Fords go by. And as he used to say, on radio, big and loud. On television, quiet and intimate. Yes, yeah. So I used to take a lot of notice of Hayes because I got to know him quite well with that first show because he used to roll up in his motorbike, a la The Wild One, because Maggie Fitzgibbon had been um, Lois in Kiss Me Kate, the show that he came out to star in, in Australia initially. I used to introduce most of the... Uh, uh, it happened by chance. I can't remember how it happened the first time that I, I suddenly... Be- was introducing people but the management loved it they said you make people sound as though they should have to be seen with Winnie every night she used to have this great big fur on and uh, just before we went on this night I think Manchester City must have been playing Manchester United who do you think's going to win the football I said frankly I don't know and I don't care Oh, she looked at me, you know, because, and was so rude, I don't know. I think I just had enough of people talking about That's it. Forgotten. On we go, ladies and gentlemen, the queen of the keyboard, Miss Winifred, I Wall And then I stand and she went, she'd sweep on and I'd take off the fur, you see, and she'd sit herself there Well, I was getting ready to apologize to her. I thought, oh, not in her dressing room, not, a, this is on the Monday night, because that was a Saturday night and uh, she's nowhere to be seen so I thought oh dear maybe she's going to come on from the other side of the stage, I really am in the doghouse here she bowled up at the last minute and just on we went I, I couldn't and so I introduced her and she threw the fur back and grabbed my back of my head and pushed it into her bosom <laughs> <laughs> and she sat down. The bed. I thought, Good heavens! What's happening? What I didn't see, and I, did, I had no knowledge of it. In Melbourne, there's a square football club. People who hate football. Oh right, AFL ladies or something. Yes. And she's prominently pushing this boob into my face. I did. I, I just
0: to a, a badge.
1: Yes, a badge of yeah. the square, square football. Fabulous.
0: Um, How are the Sydney Swans doing?
1: We're doing better uh, at this early stage of the season than we did last year because we lost our first six games last year. But we're winning away from home, but not at our, they call our fortress, at our home ground here at the Sydney Cricket Ground, which is really bizarre. But I'm hoping that, you know... We've won once at our, our home ground this season... Tonight, we've got to do it again.
0: So, so what, what brought about the uh, fascination with the Sydney Swans or the Well, the once again, of AFL?
1: Melbourne. You see, I've been touring backwards and forwards between Sydney and Melbourne all my life. And then at one stage, I went down to Melbourne for two years at the, for the naughty 90s and stayed 16. Right. That's why I sold the place in Goodyear. Stupid, yeah. stupid. I didn't understand.
0: Real estate. And...
1: Yes, you don't have to live in what you own. No, true. And for an allegedly intelligent person, <laughs> how could I be so stupid, Peter? Mine is a cautionary tale. Yeah. But everything ended up OK. Yeah, yeah, good,
0: good. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to my conversation with Tony Gapen. Now, let me ask you, Have you subscribed to Stages yet? Please do so and you can keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts and through our hosting platform, Wooshka. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes directory. It helps to grow our audience and reach much more stages listening. I look forward to seeing you next time where we have another exciting guest on... Stages.